Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. A federal jury in New York ordered former President Donald Trump to pay E. Jean Carroll $83.3 million for defaming her after she accused him of rape. In other news, Trump's former trade advisor, Peter Navarro, was sentenced to four months in prison for defying a January 6th House committee subpoena. And the Supreme Court is wading into a dispute over whether the federal government has exclusive authority to enforce immigration law or if states like Texas may set their own immigration policies. Preet Bharara and I discuss all that and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the Insider community. So let's turn now to one of the most important issues that's driving a lot of discussion. It's driving a lot of the politics of this year's election. And it's also driving a lot of court cases. And that is the issue of immigration generally, and more specifically, the issue of immigration at our southern border. It has been a battle cry for Republicans. We had an entire episode on the situation at the border on the Stay Tuned podcast in the last couple of weeks. And there are lots of folks who think, among other things, not to get into politics for a moment, that on the Republican side, generally on the Trump side in particular, they don't really want a solution. They want to keep the issue alive. And there has been some progress towards a bipartisan border security solution, a bit of legislation that reportedly Donald Trump has basically exploded by telling members of Congress that he doesn't want to deal with Democrats. So against that backdrop, which I think is important, we have cases that are now drifting up to the Supreme Court relating to actions at the border. Now, among other things, and among other battles, there's this ongoing battle, a serious one between Governor Abbott of Texas and basically the entire federal government, and specifically with respect to the the Border Patrol and some of the, the federal agencies that have responsibility for patrolling the border and capturing people who are not supposed to be crossing the border and the like. One of the particular things that Governor Abbott has done, and then I'll pose the difficult legal question to you, Joyce, is he has had state officials lace miles and miles of border between Texas and Mexico with layers and layers of razor wire, also known as concertina wire, which has the effect of making it very, very difficult, if not impossible, to cross over to the American side. And so he has done that as a state governor under whatever state laws he thinks are applicable. On the other side of the equation, the federal government, in the form of the Border Patrol, has said, that's not a good thing. That interferes with our ability to do our jobs. It interferes with our ability to make sure that public safety is looked after. And border service agents have, from time to time, and in certain places, undertaken the effort to cut holes in the razor wire. So, So that's the factual scenario. You can picture this massive razor wire at the border, The state folks say, we need it to to protect our country and our state. And the federal government says, well, we have a job to do. We're going to cut holes in it. And that's the controversy. And basically the issue is, which law matters more? Which law is supreme? The state law or the federal law? And I have always understood from law school onwards, Joyce, that in most areas, and certainly in the area of immigration, that it's federal law that governs and can't be interfered with by state action. So why isn't this an easy case? And maybe it is, given what the Supreme Court did. So do I have that right, number one? And number two, 
Tell folks what the Supreme Court just did on this controversy. So I think you're absolutely right. And my assumption when I first saw Texas doing this was, this is an easy case. It sort of gives me deja vu to, I guess, 10 or 15 years ago when Arizona and Alabama tried passing their own immigration laws. And and the theory was the same as Texas's theory here. The federal government is not doing enough about immigration. So the sovereign state of Texas must step into that void and fill the gap. And the United States then politely turns around and says, Texas, you know, Congress has passed legislation in this area of immigration. We assert supremacy over your law. You you can't do anything contrary to what we do. The sort of analysis here is that because immigration is an important matter that involves our relationship with foreign countries, the federal government has to speak with one voice. You can't have a patchwork quilt of 50 states with 50 different laws regarding immigration and immigrants or it becomes impossibly complex for foreign governments to deal with the United States. So that's sort of the big picture, which makes a lot of sense when you start to think about what individual states want to do. Texas, as you say, puts up 29 miles of concertina wire and and buoys in the water along 29 miles of municipal and private land, and in essence tries to cut off federal agents from having access at key points where federal agents are used to, for instance, launching boats into the river in order to keep an eye on things. So Texas goes to court. Texas tries to invoke its state tort law to enjoin these federally authorized activities on the borders along this entire stretch. And they sue the United States, claiming that federal Border Patrol agents were converting Texas's property and trespassing on their land. In other words, Texas said, hey, that's our razor wire. You got to quit cutting it. That was Texas's claim. The district court looked at the substantive issues, and none of them have been decided yet. This isn't about whether Texas or the United States is right. At this point, the only issue on the table is whether or not Texas is entitled to an injunction that prevents the federal government from cutting its razor wire while the entire substantive case is decided. So this makes it very difficult for me to wrap my mind about what's going on. It's just this very narrow piece. District court says, no, the United States can cut the razor wire. Texas goes to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and very unsurprisingly, they reimpose the injunction and say, no, the United States can't cut the razor wire while this case is ongoing. I don't mean to demean the importance of this case. It's just so bizarre to me that a lot of resources are being used to decide the issue of whether the United States can continue to do its job while the litigation is underway. But the Supreme Court, in this very close ruling, it's five to four, the Supreme Court says, while the substantive litigation is ongoing, the United States can continue to assert control over Texas's concertina wire on the border. And what happens here is the three progressive judges are joined by the chief justice and Justice Barrett. The other four conservative judges say that they would not have acted to end the injunction. Yeah, I mean, it's an effort by the state to take it out of this very grand controversy, as I described at the outset, which is federal power versus state power, who is sovereign and who is not, to say, This is really not about state power versus federal power. We have stuff and they're hurting our stuff. Yeah, quit touching our stuff. Right, right. In in the same way 
that he had two civilian neighbors and somebody hurts or destroys or affects the property of the other, you sue them in tort and you say, you know, you hurt my lawn or your tree fell in my yard and it hit my car, stop cutting down your trees, right? Although this is not that. So the question is, let me give you a hypothetical and I wonder if this is totally unfair or if it's different in some way. So let's say Texas has some interest in landscaping or some interest in wind reduction. I'm trying to come up with something that doesn't make a ton of sense to get to my hypothetical, but, but they have some interest in erecting fences or barriers in some way. And they decide that they're going to enclose on private land, a federal post office, right? So the federal post office, they leave unmolested, but in the territory outside what is federal land, they erect a fence that has no opening on all four sides because maybe they decide that they don't like the mail coming to that facility because traffic is too much. I don't know. Now, the federal government, the U.S. Postal Service or the FBI or others, they come and they cut a hole in that four-sided fence or wall so that people can get and send mail. How's that different from this? I think it's the perfect example, right? Because it's what the Solicitor General argues in this case when she gets to the Supreme Court. She says... All that Texas, the only interest that they have at stake, is the cost of razor wire. But we're concerned about federal law enforcement performing their job, in, in your example, right, people delivering the mail. And we're also worried, by the way, not inconsequentially, about people whose lives are put at risk by the erection of this concertina wire by the state of Texas. You know, in your case, it might be people who are concerned because life-saving medications or other important things can't be delivered if you shut down the mail. So I think just if you look at it from a common sense point of view, Texas's argument doesn't make a lot of sense here. Can we talk about one other thing, though? Because I wonder, maybe this is unfair and I'm too much of a cynic, but I view this also in the political context. Because yeah, well, that's why I started with the politics of it. You know how we used to see Trump ahead of every election? He would talk about the caravans of criminals that were creeping up on the southern border. And then those caravans would mysteriously disappear as soon as the election was over. This has a little bit of that same feel to me because of the context that you started with. This idea that there really could be a legitimate long overdue compromise on immigration in the Congress. But instead of working towards that, we're doing these sorts of ridiculous lawsuits that don't really help anyone, that don't solve the problem. And it has that same feel of caravans of criminals to me. Yeah, no, I think all of that was overstated. I do think it is the case at this moment, as we've discussed on the other podcast, that there is a real issue at the border. And there is an increase in the number of migrations, which is putting a big stress and burden, not just on, on the border, but on towns and cities around the country, and you have a bipartisan call, not just from Republicans, but a bipartisan call, including among Democratic governors and mayors, to do something about this, depending on where you are in the ideological spectrum or the party that you are situated in. You may have a different view of what is proper and right and good and humane, but I think there's no denying among reasonable people that it's not something that can just be ignored. There has to be some issue. That doesn't affect supremacy clause here, which I still think as indicated by its name, reigns supreme. And by the way, you, you, as you pointed out, you have Amy Coney Barrett and Justice Roberts siding with the three progressives. It doesn't happen all that often lately. No, that's a really weird split. Yeah, but I think it goes to the lack of merit that the justices anticipate will be the case on the Texas side of the argument. 
You know, I'm worried about the four votes. I mean, the fact that four justices don't think that the supremacy clause clearly is controlling here, that's really an interesting place for us to be. Part of the problem with ruling for Texas, it seems to me, as it often is the case when you're talking about a case of moment in the Supreme Court, obviously it's a big deal with respect to this one matter and this one controversy. But as the Solicitor General argued, the United States argued, if you, if you set that precedent, then you're opening up a can of worms and you're opening up the states to being able to do all sorts of other things, not just razor wire. How do you distinguish, you know, I gave the, you know, sort of extreme example of boxing in a post office, but there could be action after action after action taken by the states, each of which might be able to be supportable if this case goes the other way. And that's a problem overall from the federal government standpoint. And by the way, you know, when the shoe is on the other foot and there are states who want to do different things that maybe the right doesn't like, they might hope that the supremacy clause was interpreted properly way back in 2024. It's interesting because the Solicitor General actually includes one of those examples in her brief. And when she's talking about the the supremacy clause, you know, she says, if accepted, the Fifth Circuit's rationale would leave the United States at the mercy of states that could seek to force the federal government to conform the implementation of federal immigration law to varying state law regimes. And she points to California, where the state passed a law that prohibits the federal government from contracting with private service providers to run immigration um, detention centers, which is a way of saying federal government, you can't detain people. You've got to release them into communities. And so I think your point is well taken. And it's not just the immigration context. I think the slippery slope scary part is where else this might be applied. The other thing to bear in mind, this issue of there being a multiplicity of cases and controversies is not a hypothetical in the future. This razor wire case out of Texas is one of three cases that's winding its way to the Supreme Court. Do you want to talk about any of the other ones? So there are three cases, including this one, that are working their way through the courts. And and I mean, here's a spoiler alert. I think the federal government wins every one of these cases because, you know, not inconsequentially, the supremacy clause. But the first case is one that DOJ filed. We talked about this when it happened. This is the Waters of the United States case, where DOJ says, By the way, Texas, you can't drop these barriers into the Rio Grande River because there's federal law that says you can't interfere with the waters of the United States, and the Rio Grande is, in fact, that. So that case, pending en banc in front of the full Fifth Circuit, that should be interesting. And then there's this case about damage to Texas's razor wire. It's a very important resource. And then finally, there's a case that I think is really just the easiest one of the cases where the United States sues Texas, which has passed a law called SB4. And that law, in essence, tries to preempt federal law on immigration. This is Texas's effort to put its own policy in place in lieu of the federal government's decision-making power over immigration. I think, you know, this case, too, is, is doomed for failure. All this stuff is very complicated. We do our best to try to break it down and explain it. There's another great explainer who is um, our legal colleague and also one of the guests on Stay Tuned in Brief this week talking about a different set of legal issues. But he, as you pointed out to me earlier, has a pretty good examination of this issue. You know, Steve is in Texas. He's a professor at the University of Texas's law school in Austin. And I think he's such an acute 
observer of the intersection between law and politics on these issues. Steve wrote this. He said, the larger point, though, is that there's no sign that Texas is going to stop it. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.